A desperate race against a narrow window of time. Tonight, the frantic rescue efforts in Turkey and Syria and the help they're getting from here at home. Good evening. The devastation is overwhelming and the images are heartbreaking. The number of dead from Monday's quake in Turkey and Syria is climbing and the aftermath is being felt around the world. We have comprehensive coverage on the story tonight, beginning with Zoraida Alman and the latest on the search for survivors. Zoraida. Raheem, more than 36 hours since the initial quake hit, the death toll continues to rise in Turkey and Syria. While international assistance has begun to move into the region, it is the desperate work of local community members moving debris and concrete by hand in search of survivors. The work is as painstaking as it is overwhelming. Rescuers sifting through the rubble, at times calling out in search of survivors, at other times silence listening for any signs of life from underneath the mountains of concrete. This port city in the south of Turkey, one of the worst hit areas. We are terrorized, this man says. It's like we woke up to hell. His family home collapsed, his father and sister buried under the rubble. Nobody, he says, is coming to help. In a race against time to save survivors, Rescuers remain in danger as buildings continue to collapse just meters away. Amidst the devastation, glimmers of hope. Miraculous rescues, children and families somehow extracted from the mess of concrete and rubble. Rescuers here carefully removing a teenage boy down from the side of a destroyed building and placing him on a stretcher. The Turkish health minister announcing the latest death toll at more than 5,400, more than 31,000 injured. This is in Turkey alone. In Syria, hundreds more are dead, putting the combined death toll at more than 7,000. I wish God's mercy to all our citizens who lost their lives, he says, and a speedy recovery to our wounded. Condolences to our nation. The Turkish president declaring a three-month state of emergency. In Syria, where millions were already relying on humanitarian aid. The situation growing more desperate by the minute. This hospital in Aleppo begging for assistance. Hundreds of patients are still under the debris. The situation is too bad. We need urgent help. Residents digging through a collapsed building in northwest Syria rescue a mother who gave birth while buried underneath the rubble. The umbilical cord still attached. The baby survived. The mother did not. To make matters worse, temperatures have plummeted, creating an even more dire situation for survivors and complicating rescue efforts. And think about this for a moment. Some of the quake survivors sending text messages asking for help in all that rubble. Ottawa has committed $10 million as part of an initial aid package. The U.S. is sending search and rescue team members. While humanitarian aid begins to pour in, efforts in Syria are being hampered by ongoing political sanctions. And the humanitarian aid border crossing between Turkey and Syria has been damaged by the earthquake. I'm Zoraida Alman. Rahim, back to you. Thank you, Zoraida. And the rescue efforts in Turkey and Syria require extremely technical skills to get people out safely. Still to come, we speak with Canada's Heavy Urban Search and Rescue Task Force to get an in-depth understanding of what crews there are facing. We'll bring you more on the situation surrounding the earthquake rescue efforts in just a few moments. But now we turn to Ottawa and the ball is now in the province's court after today's highly anticipated meeting on federal health care transfers. The prime minister is offering $196 billion, but only about a quarter of that is new spending, far short of what the premiers have been asking for. 
CTV's Annie Bergeron Oliver has those details. It's a real pleasure to gather with all First Ministers across this country uh, to talk about health care and how we're going to make sure we're delivering for people for the coming years. Since late 2020, the Premiers have been collectively calling for a significant boost to health transfers. Now the tough talks are finally happening in person. Today is, is about... Uh, listening and learning from the from the prime minister what his proposal is for the future of health care funding in our country i'm very hopeful we'll see a constructive offer from the federal government How are you yeah. feeling going into the talks? very well <laughs> everyone smile the premiers want a 35 percent increase to the canada health transfer and no strings attached to the additional funding we don't want uh, conditions uh, what we want is to be able to apply our plan Today, Ottawa presented the premiers with a plan worth a total of $196 billion over 10 years. It includes $46.2 billion in new funding and an immediate $2 billion top-up to the Canada Health Transfer. Provinces and territories who agree to share data will get extra money to ensure their health transfer increases by 5% for five years. I think it's good for Canadians. Whether all the premiers agree is still unclear. Premier Higgs, are you satisfied with uh, today's deal? Well, there's, there's more change. to think about. And despite billions in new money, the premiers aren't getting as much as they asked for. It's significantly less than what we were looking for in terms of, you know, the baseline funding injection into the Canada health transfer. Coming into this meeting, the prime minister said he wasn't looking for a one-size-fits-all deal. Now there's a total of $25 billion on the table for provinces and territories who signed bilateral agreements with Ottawa. Annie Bergeron-Oliver, CTV News, Ottawa. And let's turn to Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris now with a closer look at what today's deal means for people across this province. Siobhan. Michelle, we definitely saw more downbeat Doug Ford coming out of that meeting than we saw going in. But we are hearing from his office tonight that what he was presented with from the prime minister shows those common priorities when it comes to health care. What we see this as is a, is a starting point. It's a, it's a down payment. Premier Doug Ford's office says Ontario has been offered a $776 million emergency top-up to tackle pressures on pediatric hospitals, ERs and surgical centres. Queen's Park says Parliament Hill is also offering some $8.4 billion more over the next decade for things like primary care, data, mental health and shoring up staffing. We need investments around our uh, human health resources, our doctors, our nurses, who are reporting levels of burnout of 70-75%. In Ontario, we need to be fairly compensated and have com um, competitive compensation. Ontario's Premier is concerned that home care didn't show up. On the uh, existing uh, deals that we have after four years, where, where does it go? You know, home care. Uh, who's going to take care of the cost of the escalation of PSW salaries? Some advocates for senior care share that concern. It's baffling and short-sighted that this federal government has not led with a dedicated pot of funds for its aging population. In this case, an ounce of prevention could help. One of the best things we can do is have investment in senior care so people don't end up in ERs when they could be at home aging more safely. Premier Ford says he's trying to see the glass as half full. Let's see, uh, once we all absorb it, we go back, back home and and uh, we'll have questions. About how to move forward to deliver better care to Ontarians. 
Political opponents wanted to have some certainty that any new money would not be going to for-profit clinics in Ontario. The Premier was asked whether that question of private health care came up in his discussions with the Prime Minister today, and he said no. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Raheem, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. Returning to our top story and the rescue efforts in Turkey and Syria, Canada says it is committing millions of dollars in aid. And crews from right here in the GTA will also be lending a hand. Here's CTV's Janice Golding with a look. When Manar Shabuk heard an earthquake had ripped through Turkey and Syria... The first thing I had is I had a severe panic attack. The Syrian-born Canadian left a huge family behind when she left her homeland four years ago. And I started calling everyone like crazy, and we went on Twitter, and I went on Instagram, and I went on Facebook. But days after the massive quake, some of her loved ones are still missing. Losing any of them is like losing a piece of me. While Shabuk tries to reach her family, <laughs> a Topico-based global medic is mobilizing to help as many people in the devastated areas as possible. They are putting together family emergency kits. While volunteers assemble emergency kits, teams on the ground overseas are using high-end drone technology to search for the missing. We can get really close to buildings that may be damaged and are unsafe for humans to approach at the moment, but they can use that technology to get in close, see if there's uh, people that are in those buildings that need uh, rescuing or evacuation. Meanwhile, nonprofit group the Malham team has more than 100 volunteers working in Turkey and northwest Syria, distributing food and blankets and erecting temporary housing. We prepared shelters like a huge tent uh, for the affected and injured ones. As aid organizations try to help devastated families overseas, people like Manar Shabuk must wait to see if help reaches their missing loved ones. It feels like a bit, it feels like I died myself. Hope diminishing, however, as time passes and the death toll climbs. Janice Golding, CTV News. High above the city tonight and a live look over Earl Bay's Park. Skiers and snowboarders enjoying a beautiful day on the slopes with another one on the way, perhaps. Well, with those answers, let's bring in Jessica Smith with a look at the current conditions. And Jess, we saw a decent amount of sunshine earlier in the day. We did. We started the early morning hours with that sunshine. We saw the showers kind of roll through very briefly, very light, kind of late morning, midday. It moved out and not a bad afternoon ahead of us, temperature-wise. The bulk of that low, you can see it there, continues to push its way further and further east. And heading into the day tomorrow, another beautiful one on tap. Right around the Golden Horseshoe, it's still really warm and above seasonal. We're looking at temperatures on the positive side, kind of ranging from about 1 to about 5, 6 degrees. Now, as we head through the rest of our evening, we're holding on to the chance of maybe a little active weather, but for the most part, through the island, towards Pearson, overnight, comfortable. But as we head in towards Thursday, these are special weather statements that blanket all of southern Ontario. That's because we're watching for a major storm system on the way. I'll have those details coming up. Raheem. Thanks, Jess. Thanks. Toronto's mayor says the city is struggling to recover from a COVID hangover, and it's partly to blame for a looming budget shortfall. The gap is more than a billion dollars in today, John Tory and his councillors met to find ways to get things under control. CTV's Natalie Johnson is live at City Hall tonight. Natalie, what is the city proposing? Well, Michelle, today council officially opened the door to exploring a new taxes for Toronto. And to give you an idea of just how much that new revenue might be needed, the idea had the support of every councillor except for one. A possible parking levy inched closer to becoming a Toronto tax today to the dismay of some drivers. I disagree with that. I don't think they should tax us. The more taxes we pay, the unhappier people will be. But inside council chamber, there was a growing consensus that the city needed cash. Cash that didn't involve an annual ask to Queen's Park or Ottawa. Every year, we go cap in hand to the federal and provincial governments. Quite frankly, it's embarrassing. 
it's constantly thrown back at me. Well, you have tools you're not using, or you have tools you're not using properly, or you have reserves that are too high, or you, which is rubbish. The mayor asking council to greenlight a staff assessment of how a commercial parking levy could work, in addition to other possible municipal revenue tools like a sales tax. For a long time, we heard that the city has a spending problem, that the gravy train was what was actually harming city finances. But all along, we've known that uh, when the city of Toronto was amalgamated, there was a downloading of some of the most expensive items. Council approved the same revenue review in 2016 and went on to endorse road tolls, only to have that plan quashed by the province. Fast forward seven years and bridging the budget gap has only gotten harder, forcing councillors to talk taxes again. Not only is there an appetite uh, on council, I think there's an appetite among Torontonians. Not so, said Stephen Holliday. The public is going to be outraged with us. The Etobicoke councillor saying the city needs to cut back on services if it's writing checks it can't cash. Well, the cupboard's not bare. We just got back from Costco with a carload of groceries that don't fit into the cupboard. But he couldn't convince anyone else on council. How does it feel to be the only one on that side of the vote? Well, I'll tell you, I'm not sure that that vote reflects what the citizens of Toronto are thinking. And my message for them is hang on to your wallets. City staff will crunch the numbers and report back to council later this year as the revenue debate revs up. And also here today, City Council approved the plan to close up to five temporary shelter sites this year. They did just wrap the meeting for the day a few minutes ago, but they will be back here tomorrow to resume their discussion on warming center funding. Reporting live in the chamber, I'm Natalie Johnson. Michelle, over to you. Thank you, Natalie. It's a sinkhole that's wider than most vehicles and forced a school bus to make an unexpected stop. How the driver safely escaped after a massive hole swallowed part of the bus in the beach. The mayor, meanwhile, took time from today's council meeting to remember the late Hazel McCallion. She would tell it the way it was and she would uh, you know, be your friend on Monday and not your friend on Tuesday if you weren't working with her. And it's not to say she was in any way unreliable, but she was just a person who didn't hesitate to speak the truth, especially to power, and to hold the governments that she was dealing with to account for their decisions. McCallion died just over a week ago at 101. She had served as Mississauga's mayor for 36 years, helping to transform the region into one of the country's biggest cities. Her funeral is set for next Tuesday, which would have been her 102nd birthday. Durham police are investigating an assault at the Ajax GO station. Authorities say they were called to the facility before 2.30 this afternoon. There they found a man suffering from severe injuries. He's been taken to hospital and is said to be in life-threatening condition. The incident affected GO train service for a short while. There's no word yet on a suspect or how this man was hurt. Five years and still no answers. Tonight, a quarter of a million dollars is being offered to find the killer of a Toronto man. Matthew Stakos was gunned down in 2018, and both his family and police say they still don't know why he was targeted. CTV's Beth McDonnell reports. At 37 years old, Matthew Stakos had a successful career as a tech CEO, was in a loving relationship and close with his family. Everything seemed to be going right. Just a couple of days before we returned from a family trip to the Bahamas. I mean, there, there are always stresses in life and uh, stresses running a business, but nothing unusual. On May 28, 2018, Stakos was gunned down. Now, nearly five years later, the need to know who and why won't leave his father, mother and brother. 
They're offering a $250,000 reward for information. It's been something that just hasn't gone away and it, uh, it really does consume us. Investigators say it was here near Yorkville Avenue and Bay Street. Stakos was shot and killed at the time walking with a colleague after a business meeting when they passed the parked Mercedes. They say it was around 1130 at night someone got out of the passenger side of the Mercedes, believed to be a 2016, 2017 or 2018 model, firing at Stakos from behind before getting back in the car and taking off. Both the killer and the driver still have not been caught. There's no doubt in our mind that whoever did this, it was a planned and deliberate incident. There were steps that were taken by the shooter to look in the general area, to be around that area for a period of time. In 2021, the family also offered a quarter million dollar reward. They hope this time, allegiances, finances, something has changed so the missing pieces are revealed and they can get the closure they so desperately long for. I've dedicated a huge amount of the last few years just to helping out my parents and helping them get through this uh, because it's been, it's been too much for them to handle and me as well. Tips can be made anonymously to Crime Stoppers. The family says Stakos was beautiful, smart and kind and trying to understand why he's gone has been torture. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. Three people are recovering tonight following a severe crash in Brampton. It was reported just after midnight and forced police to close the intersection of Goreway and Intermodal Drive for a large part of the morning. A car was wedged underneath a transport truck, trapping all three people inside. They were eventually freed, and one person was taken to hospital with life-threatening injuries. No word yet on just what happened. Down the road in Mississauga, one woman is recovering in hospital after she was hit by a car this morning. Crews were called to the area of Derry Road and Goreway Drive just before 6. The woman was reportedly taken to hospital in critical condition. Police say her injuries are life-threatening. About this time yesterday evening, crews were racing to Balsam Avenue in the beach to deal with a big school bus sitting over top of an even bigger sinkhole. Tonight, that hole is mostly filled, and what remains is a story families in the area will be retelling for a while. CTV's Austin Delaney is near the scene right now and joins us live to explain. Austin. And quite a scare for that bus driver as he pulled up to the school here in the beach to pick up the kids. Suddenly, the road below his bus started to collapse. The principal at St. Dennis could not believe his eyes when he looked out the window and saw the school bus and the sinkhole. It was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. I couldn't believe that the ground underneath the bus was, was collapsing. It was on Balsam Avenue, just north of Queen in the beach yesterday afternoon, when the bus pulled up in front of the school. And we hear this, it's almost like a crunching sound. And it's, it's gravel crunching, exactly how you'd think um, concrete collapsing would sound like. Um, so, so we kind of get up and, and go, you know, just, just look a little bit. And we see the bottom of the bus is basically collapsing into itself uh, slowly at first and then all of a sudden all at once. The situation could have been much worse, says the manager of the bus company, who was quickly on scene last evening. We're fortunate in that the sinkhole seems to have opened up under the bus between the four wheels and the undercarriage. There were no kids on board yet, just the driver. The driver was wonderful, uh, did exactly what he was supposed to do, but looked shell-shocked, as you can imagine. He jumped off the bus in a hurry, but the noise had alerted the kids in the school. I look up, basically every kid in the school is looking out the window. 
<laughs> looking at the uh, looking at the sinkhole that spilled up uh, underneath the bus. The bus was balancing its wheels on either side of the sinkhole when tow truck operators arrived to delicately pull it away. It took one truck at the back, lifting the rear wheels off the ground. Another at the front, lifting the engine and the front tires, and a third truck on the side, pulling the bus over the sinkhole and onto the firm road. Today, crews were here filling the hole with gravel, waiting for the road to be repaved. And the cause, a burst pipe, bring water to the school. But the people who live on this street tell me it's not the first time they've had sinkholes in the last 12 months. Reporting live, I'm Austin Delaney. Raheem? Thanks, Austin. Well, for the second day in a row, Toronto's Marine Unit has been forced to rescue someone from Lake Ontario. Police say a man was struggling in the waters near Queen's Quay and Martin Goodman Trail just after four this morning. He had fallen between a brick wall and a ship. A person walking by threw him a life preserver and crews pulled the man to safety once they arrived. He was taken to hospital and was said to be stable. On Monday, police rescued three people from the lake near Toronto Island after an ice skating mishap. The federal government is bringing in an organization based in The Hague to help in the search for answers at former residential schools. The International Commission on Missing Persons will offer Indigenous communities with options concerning identifying possible human remains. That will include expert information on DNA analysis and other forensic approaches for consideration. The group will also prepare a final report for the federal government. Ukraine is getting more tanks. Denmark, Germany and the Netherlands are pooling funds to restore at least 100 old Leopard 1 tanks. The country said today they will arrive in Ukraine within the coming months, along with trainers, spare parts and ammunition. They also insist their Leopard 1 initiative is open to further partners, adding Belgium has shown initial interest. Last month, a number of nations, including Canada, announced they are sending the more modern Leopard 2 tank to Ukraine. Joe Biden will speak to millions of Americans tonight, delivering the second State of the Union address of his presidency. Madam Speaker, the President of the United States. Biden will talk about a range of issues during the primetime speech. Domestically, that will likely include gun control, police reform, and the uncertain economy. Internationally, he's expected to discuss Russia's war on Ukraine and tensions with China. It'll be his first State of the Union since the Republicans won a majority in the House of Representatives. It's believed Biden will launch his re-election campaign in the coming weeks. Coming up, understanding a mammoth undertaking. Canada's experts in heavy urban search and rescue offer insight into the race against time to find earthquake survivors in Syria and Turkey. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, more vehicles now come with sunroofs, but over the past few years, there has been an increase in them shattering without warning. A woman was shocked when the sunroof in her new SUV shattered as she drove down the 401. I'll have my reports. That's just ahead. And high pressure returns to our forecast as we mark the middle of the week, meaning a ton of sunshine. As you get yourself and the kids ready for school tomorrow, you won't need a lot in the way of the heavy layers. But there is some active weather on the way. We'll have those details coming up. And stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV.
sunroofs have become a popular option in vehicles over the years, and some of them are now larger than ever. While they are a nice addition to a car, there are a growing number of cases of sunroofs shattering for no apparent reason. Pat Foran has this consumer alert. Pat. Thanks, Michelle. And Raheem Transport Canada says there have been more than 800 cases of sunroofs shattering over the past decade. A woman from London says she was shocked when her sunroof shattered. The SUV she was driving was only two months old. When you hear an explosion like that and you're not expecting it, um, it is quite shocking. Megan Maloney of London says she was driving on the 401 in her 2023 Nissan Rogue when the sunroof shattered. It wasn't until I heard wind that I actually kind of looked off to the side, saw glass and then looked up and then realized my sunroof was gone. Maloney bought the new SUV in December and thought the $1,400 repair for the sunroof would be looked after as the vehicle was almost brand new and under warranty. It should be under uh, at least a three-year warranty, uh, but for some reason, the sunroof isn't included. CTV News has done many stories over the years of sunroof shattering spontaneously. Hearing a big pop or explosion. While I was driving, the sunroof exploded. According to Transport Canada, more than 800 sunroofs have shattered over the past 10 years, with almost 600 bursting into pieces between 2016 and 2020. Transport Canada said it found in most cases, sunroof breaks are caused by impact damage and not a manufacturer's defect. When CTV News asked Nissan about Maloney's case, a spokesperson said, We are not aware of any defects affecting the sunroof of the Nissan Rogue. We recommend this customer contact their insurance company. We took it upon ourselves to attempt to duct tape the sunroof so that I would be able to commute to and from work. Following a review of Maloney's case, Nissan said it decided to repair the sunroof as a goodwill gesture and provide her with a rental vehicle, which came as a great relief to her. And Transport Canada said with so many cars with sunroofs, the chance of one shattering is still extremely rare. And last night we told you Netflix is planning to crack down on password sharing, but it hasn't started yet. The company says users who got a notice on their TV saying Netflix will no longer work is related to a technical issue with set-top boxes and not password sharing. It does plan to roll out paid sharing by the end of March. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. We return to our coverage of the powerful earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. The devastation has unleashed a massive rescue effort for survivors. In Canada, the Heavy Urban Search and Rescue Task Force would be responsible for this undertaking, and its members say the crews overseas have a difficult task ahead. CTV Sean Lethong reports. In the aftermath of the earthquake in Turkey, someone like Toronto Fire Platoon Chief Chris Rowland knows what needs to be done. Everybody will eventually be brought out. Roland is part of the Heavy Urban Search and Rescue Team, or HUSAR, a group that enters a scene of devastation to help recover who they can. We use our special skills, special search equipment, um, and lifting methods, stabilization to stabilize the buildings again. As teams from across the world are coming to help in Turkey, because it's been more than 24 hours since the earthquake, Roland says each affected area has to be triaged and a plan created in order to save as many people as possible. There are those ones that are going to be in the voids 
um, or maybe the building has to be structurally secured that we can get in and, and do a proper search. They'll be using canines to assist, uh, get the dogs in to do searches. And he says the team here is ready if the call comes. We'll go when we're called to go, and if our time comes up, we're ready to go. And when it comes to the already humongous task of search and rescue, one engineer we spoke to said that construction standards in Turkey may make this an even bigger problem. Earthquake engineering really matters. It's what makes the difference between the kind of death toll that we're seeing right now and what we would expect uh, in places that have really well-developed uh, and well-enforced buildings. Associate Professor Liddell Weeb from McMaster University says that some of the wreckage in Turkey is showing signs of poorly made concrete. Uh, you really need a lot of re uh, steel reinforcement in there to, kind of, to confine the concrete and get it to perform well when it goes through the large demands of an earthquake. Um, and I am seeing steel in many of the pictures that I'm seeing, but not as closely spaced as I would expect. And as the death toll is rising, there are hopes that teams like the Hussar can save many more lives. Sean Lethong, CTV News. And you can see a live shot behind us of the crews in Turkey and Syria who are facing much more than piles of rubble tonight. Weather is playing a big role in these search and rescue efforts, and unfortunately, it's not cooperating. Jessica Smith is here to talk to us more about that side of things. It, it's cold. And that means the dexterity in your hands starts to go as you, you spend the rest of your time outside. And tonight, it's only going to get colder. We're looking at minus 10, maybe, and that's before you factor in any kind of a wind chill. So it makes it really challenging to, to find people and be able to do so with the proper dexterity in your hands. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Temperature-wise, right now, with those rescue efforts going on, it is very, very chilly outside. It doesn't help when it comes to trying to use any tools that you have because it is just going to remain really chilly as we head through the rest of our evening and in towards the day tomorrow. Might see a little sunshine there, but overall, it is looking to be very, very cold. Here at home, a completely different story. We're looking at temperatures remaining well above the seasonal mark. We are looking at about 5 degrees right now for the city of Toronto. It feels like, minus, or feels like plus 1, pardon me, when you factor in any kind of a wind chill but really everybody in central and southern Ontario experiencing this really significant warm-up and it continues as we head into the day tomorrow. Tonight, dropping down to zero, it will feel like minus three. There's the slight chance we could see a very light passing flurry or two, but really the bulk of that system that saw the drizzle that made its way through midday today is far east of us. As we get into the day tomorrow, four degrees at daytime high, we should be at minus two, just to show you the difference. And really everybody across southern Ontario, from Peterborough to Bancroft down towards Niagara, everybody feeling the warmth. Now, we saw that rain make its way through very brief early on today. The bulk of that system continues to track its way east. Behind it is going to be high pressure, but we are keeping a close eye on a Texas low set to make its way in as we head in towards our Thursday, and it's going to be a significant system. We are looking at special weather statements blanketing really all of southern Ontario right now. That's for 15 to 25 millimeters of rain and wind gusts potentially upwards of 90 kilometers an hour. It's a good idea now to kind of clear any storm drains. And because the ground is just so saturated, there's really not really anywhere for the water to go. So if you can clear that up, it definitely helps the situation. Now, as we get in towards our Wednesday morning, again, we're looking at a really clear, beautiful day ahead of us. But it's as we get in towards Thursday, that we are watching for the system to settle in. Likely to start as a little bit of mixing through the morning, right around 8 a.m., 
But as we head into the afternoon, we could see some embedded thunderstorms into the system. It moves through relatively quickly, and by about 6.30 p.m., the bulk of it is going to be east of us. So, again, tomorrow, a beautiful day, the really light chance of seeing an early, early morning flurry. As we get into Thursday, heavier rain on the way. We're watching for this to make its way out Friday. By Saturday, the sunshine returns. And then looking all the way ahead to Valentine's Day on Tuesday next week, we've got sunshine and positive temperatures on the way. Michelle. Thank you, Jess. The U.S. Navy has released photos of that Chinese spy balloon after it was shot down on Saturday. These are images of the recovery effort off the coast of South Carolina. The balloon crossed over sensitive military sites in the U.S. for days before the order was given to take it down. The U.S. Department of Defense says the decision was made with the full support of the Canadian government. Ottawa has confirmed the balloon violated Canadian airspace but has not provided details about where or when. A toddler is safe and sound after being rescued from a well shaft in Thailand. Rescuers carried the girl to a waiting ambulance after an overnight rescue operation. She had been in the 15-meter deep shaft for 18 hours after falling in while her parents were working at a plantation. Crews dug delicately in an attempt to reach the girl without the sides of the well collapsing. She was tired but otherwise fine. And Andrea Case is live on location for a very and special night. The Tiff Bell Lightbox, where Pamela Anderson, you may have just heard the scream, is here promoting her new documentary. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to tell you why Pam is telling her side of the story. On air, online, on every yeah. platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. CAMH announced its largest corporate donation ever today. A $50 million gift to help Canada's largest mental health teaching hospital create a new state-of-the-art facility. Our health reporter Pauline Chan has more. A $50 million gift from Orlando Corporation. The corporate donation just announced is part of a massive $500 million fundraising campaign for CAMH, the biggest hospital-based mental health campaign in the world. It's both for our research and discovery centre as well as to support new and groundbreaking ideas and people for research and innovation. At the big announcement, the audience had a first glimpse of architectural renderings of the new research and discovery centre. This area behind me is where the new centre is scheduled to start construction in 2024. And the complex promises to finally unite all of CAMH's facilities in one location, eliminating the need for the college and Spadina buildings, some of which date back to the 1960s. Um, and that's really important because it means our researchers get to interact with our clinicians and our patients more directly. Um, and it kind of creates an integrated sense of space. And it's really the, I would say, kind of the final jewel in the crown, so to speak, of, of this campus. The funding announcement is accompanied by a new ad campaign called No One Left Behind. And one of the participants, Augustina Ampofo, knows firsthand how important the research done by CAMH can be. The fact that I was actually able to seek treatment in an early psychosis intervention program, that program would have not existed without years of research. It was the research that they did that they found that evident that uh, early intervention actually works. And she hopes the new centre will launch new treatments for many mental health conditions. Pauline Chan, CTV News. 
If you know of her, you probably have an opinion on Pamela Anderson. From Playboy Centerfold, Baywatch actress, and most recently Broadway star, now Anderson is telling her story. CTV's Andrea Case is live at the Tip Bell Lightbox tonight, where Anderson is attending a red carpet screening of her new documentary, Pamela, A Love Story. Andrea, how's it going? Uh, Michelle, pretty busy right here, and hello, Raheem. Yeah, uh, she just went inside to watch this film. Now, Pamela Anderson is someone who many people have an opinion about. A lot has been said, a lot has been photographed, and a butt of a lot of jokes. I'm going to show you some video of her just a few moments ago. She entered the Tip Bell Lightbox with her son, Brandon Lee. Brandon, of course, is one of two sons she has with uh, Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee. Um, he is a producer on this film, not Tommy Lee, but her son, Brandon. And... Uh, uh, he decided he wanted to tell his mother's story because so much has been said about her. And she handed over all of her diaries, and she was someone who, when she was married and when she wasn't married, filmed a lot of her life. And therefore, he had a lot to choose from when he made this documentary. The new documentary, Pamela, A Love Story, is Pamela Anderson's story in her own words, literally. The Canadian actor and model is known the world over for her outward appearance. Now she's reclaiming the narrative the world has about her and wants you to know she is so much more. I didn't feel like I had a lot of respect. Did you want to be a serious actress? I am a serious actress. Anderson released both her memoir, Love, Pamela, and the new Netflix documentary last week. It bored heavily on her years behind and in front of the camera and her volumes of diaries. I'm not the damsel in distress. I put myself in crazy situations and <laughs> survived them. So the documentary was released on Netflix on January 31st, and Pamela Anderson says she hasn't actually watched the whole thing. She watched part of it with her other son, Dylan, but she said she had to turn away. Tonight, she's got a full house here at Tiff Bell Lightbox. It's going to be moderated by our friend Richard Krauss. So she's got a pretty supportive crowd, so hopefully she will watch the entire thing. It's available now on the streaming service. Reporting live, I'm Andrea Case. Michelle, I'll send it back to you. Thanks, Andrea. Samantha Bee has been tapped to host this year's Canadian Screen Awards here in her hometown. The comedian and former talk show host says she's excited to celebrate this country's finest creative minds in person. She'll emcee the final night of Canadian Screen Week, recognizing the best in Canadian film and television. It begins April 11th. Nominees will be announced on February 22nd. Well, if this is any indication, Beyonce fans in Toronto may want to get their tickets as soon as possible. They don't love you like I love you. Slow down. The first concert of Queen Bee's upcoming world tour sold out in a flash today. So a second show in Stockholm, Sweden has been added in May due to demand. Beyonce kicks off the North American leg of her tour July 8th with the first of two concerts at Rogers Centre. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. No fail fitness ideas. Tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. Which small daily habit tweaks can make the biggest impact? CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. I started calling everyone like crazy, and we went on Twitter, and I went on Instagram, and I went on Facebook. Updating our top stories, aid is on the way from Canada to Turkey and Syria following a deadly earthquakes. Ottawa provided $10 million in aid to start, while those with family there are doing everything they can to support their loved ones. It's a, it's a down payment 
on, on further discussions. Premier Ford says $46 billion in new health care funding from Ottawa is a good starting point. The Prime Minister has offered to shift $196 billion to provinces and territories over the next 10 years in exchange for a commitment to upgrade health care data collection. However, only $46 billion of that investment is new funding. These unknowns are, are really very difficult for us. They, they cause us uh, pain every day. Nearly five years after the murder of Matthew Stakos, the tech CEO's family has renewed a $250,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of his killer. Stakos was shot and killed on May 28th of 2018 in what police called an unprovoked attack on a defenseless man. In business news, Canada's top banker is telling the country to not expect much economic growth this year. Andrew Bell of BNM Bloomberg tells us why. Hello there. The head of the Bank of Canada says the central bank decided to halt interest rates for now before we slow the economy and inflation too much. Tiff Macklem said in a speech that he expects growth in the Canadian economy to be, quote, close to zero in the first three quarters of this year. Meanwhile, though, Jay Powell, chair of the U.S. Federal Reserve, warned that additional rate increases are needed to cool inflation and that borrowing costs may need to peak higher than previously thought. Cineplex says it posted all-time high box office revenue per patron in its latest quarter, as movie lovers shell out for special formats such as IMAX. The theatre chain swung to a fourth quarter profit of just over $10 million versus a year ago loss. Total box office revenue was still down more than 30% from the same period in 2019, but box office revenue per patron for the quarter was a new high of just over $13, and concession revenue per customer hit a record of almost $9. Finally, research indicates that U.S. companies save $4 billion each year in overtime payments by dishing out fancy job titles. A University of Texas and Harvard Business School study says employers inflate workers' titles to avoid paying them overtime. Generally, in the U.S., salaried managers don't get overtime pay. Some of the titles used by companies included food cart manager, lead shower door installer and director of first impressions. Let's check in on the markets. The Canadian dollar changed hands at 74.61 US cents, up about one quarter of a cent. WTI oil, the North American benchmark, was at $77.14 US a barrel, up $3.03. Western Canadian Select Oil, the Alberta benchmark, traded at $58.31, up $4.56. And the TSX Composite ended at 20,725.0, up just over 96 points. That's the latest in business. I'm Andrew Bell of BNN Bloomberg. The Leafs have announced the return of their annual outdoor practice. The free event at Nathan Phillips Square is taking place after a two-year hiatus. A practice will be held on Sunday at noon. Other festivities include Carlton's Party in the Square and the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association Skills Competition that take place throughout the weekend. 
Meanwhile, there are multiple reports that the U.S. Labor Secretary will step down to become head of the NHL Players Association. It's believed Marty Walsh is going to resign in the coming days following tonight's State of the Union address by U.S. President Joe Biden. The union has been looking for a new executive director to take over from Donald Fair. The Raptors are back home after the longest road trip of the season, but they're still without OG Ananobi. The 25-year-old forward will not be in the lineup when Toronto hosts the Spurs tomorrow night. Ananobi has been sidelined since January 27th when he sprained his left wrist. The team says he's not practicing yet, but is progressing well. Just ahead, budget woes aside, a celebration at City Hall. The Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts bring the cup to council, reveling in their big win. City Hall played host to a group of very special guests today. The Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts brought their newly acquired hardware into council chambers. The Argos beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in a thriller in November 24-23. Today, the team's GM and CFL legend Pinball Clemens spoke about how much the victory means to everyone involved. We had a team this year that, um, well, we, we, we had guys who got injured. We had other guys who struggled. We had guys who played in a position that was different from the position that they desired to play in. But in the end, they all worked together and figured it out. And that's what a great team does. And it is Toronto's first Grey Cup win since 2017 and the 18th in franchise history. Every time I hear him, I just want to run through a brick wall. Right? He's so he, motivated. He's amazing. Congrats I love again it. to the Argos. Yes. Uh, it's a mild evening, and we do have some nice weather ahead, yes. but we also have some kind of wet, ugly weather <laughs> ahead, too. You get a little bit of everything hey. <laughs> for the next 24 to 48 hours. We have sunshine on the way tomorrow. It's going to be a beautiful mark to the middle of the week. Enjoy it while you can, because we are watching a major storm on the way in for Thursday. But we'll focus on the positive right now, and those are the literal temperatures. We are sitting at about five for the city of Toronto. Still feels like about plus one, but really overall, everybody above the freezing mark, a comfortable night ahead of us. If you want to get out for a walk this evening, a great night to do so. I know a lot of folks are hitting up the local rinks in and around the city. It's been a little melty out there, but I mean, tonight, not too, too bad if you want to get out and do that. As we head in towards tomorrow morning, there is a very light chance of flurries through the early, early morning hours. But as we head in towards the afternoon, sunshine on the way, and we're looking at a beautiful Wednesday ahead of us. But I'm keeping an eye on Thursday. We have special weather statements in place for 15 to 25 millimeters of rain plus winds in excess of 90 kilometers an hour potentially. So this system is going to be fast and furious. It moves out and by Friday we'll see things clear up and it's a beautiful start to the weekend. So we just have to get through Thursday before we get in towards really nice weather and then looking ahead to Valentine's Day if that's your thing. It's going to be great. If it's not, it's also going to be a really great day. It's going to be four degrees and a mix of sun and clouds. So not too bad. All right. That'll do it for us. Be sure to join Omar Sachidina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Jessica Smith and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.